in verses 8 through 19. And so as you arrive there, go ahead and stand and follow along as I read Hebrews 11, beginning with verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And because of your word, because of your son, we have hope today. And so we pray that you would bless this time. I pray that you would speak through your word and do what only you are able to accomplish this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. And one commentator writes this, Without any doubt, Abraham is the greatest example of faith in the Bible. Now, that may be. It's certainly possible. I don't know, certainly, if, if, if it was up to my vote, I would say, yeah, I think Abraham, Abraham wins for that. But as we continue talking about faith this morning, as we're looking through this chapter, uh, Hebrews 11, I want to balance the commentator's words with the words of Jesus, where he says in Luke 17, verse 6, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed. You could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it would obey you. Uh, Those are phenomenal words, and certainly from that verse, there has been uh, doctrine created and built upon that verse that that is not good theology. But what we can get from that verse as we consider a mustard seed so tiny And Jesus is saying, if you have faith like that, like the tiniest of seeds, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. What we get from that 
is this. It's not the amount of faith, but the direction and object of our faith that matters the most. That there is hope for non-Abrahams because Jesus is the doer and we are the believers in the one who does. And I think that as we see throughout Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews agrees with that. That it wasn't the amount of faith, but the direction of faith. And that being said, the Bible, Old and New Testaments, holds Abraham up as an example of faith, as the father of all who truly believe. Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And here in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 2, verse 16, for surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Those of faith. James adds that because of Abraham's faith, Abraham was called a friend of God. And so let's look at this example with hope this morning. Abraham was from the pagan city Ur. Joshua 24, verse 2 tells us further that he was an idolater. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. But in His grace, the Lord called Abraham out of darkness and literally out of that land. Stephen in Acts 7, verses 2 and 3, Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. And Abraham believed God's word. Believed God's word with such certainty that he left. He left paganism and he left Ur. And he didn't know where he was going. Only why he was going. Because God had called him to go, and whatever God had for him would be better than whatever it was he left behind. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is reminding us of here in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. That's faith. He had received God's word. There was no picture. There was no uh, evidence of what was to come except that God had spoken and Abraham believed, and so he left. We see here again, as we see throughout Hebrews 11, faith does something. Faith results in obedience. Verse 9 goes on. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Hearing God's voice and going out in faith doesn't mean it was easy for Abraham. 
Abraham left everything and followed the Lord. He left his home. Now, just imagine this, okay? Imagine for Abraham. These were his people. This was his country, his land, all of his friends, all of his family there in Ur. And God calls him, and he leaves it all. He left everything to follow the Lord. Taylor said last week, don't camouflage lack of faith with wisdom. Exercising faith is taking risks. Don't confuse that. You just look and see in Abraham's life. But notice that Taylor didn't say that, that faith is exercising risk. No, faith is assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And that assurance and conviction does something. Abraham left everything. But it was also this faith that led him to leave everything that also allowed him in faith to sojourn in a land that was not his own. He didn't just in faith leave, he stayed in faith. This was the land of promise, and rather than going and looking around and noticing, I don't know anybody here. Or anything. I don't know the culture here. He didn't go and look and say, nope. Faith allowed him to stay, to remain where God had called him to go. And we need to understand, yes, God had promised the land of Canaan to Abraham, but during his life and the life of his sons, as Stephen says again in Acts 7, verse 5, God gave him no inheritance, not even a foot's length. We learn from Genesis that the only land that Abraham ever owned was Sarah's tomb. A cave near Hebron. That's it. So imagine Abraham's life and his faith. He's promised this inheritance, this land, and yet always living there as a stranger and sojourner worshipped the one true God in a land of pagans who worshipped many gods. This was not this wasn't easy for him. He was an outsider. He was different. And yet he listened and he obeyed and he trusted God in the midst of the difficulty. Honestly, we should not feel that different from Abraham. Surely Abraham's faith and how it played out, his, his worldview collided with, with that of his neighbors. And it will for us as well. Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. How could, how could someone do this? How could someone live like that? Just willingly and wholeheartedly follow the Lord in this, in this way to leave everything behind. Everything behind. 
and to go to a place that he didn't know and go to a place that he didn't know where he was going. How, how do you do that? How do you live like that? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us here he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Abraham was looking for the only city with foundations that would last, that would not crumble, that would not fade. In that city, he would both be with the builder and fellowship without collision with those who love him forever. No more sojourning, no more sickness, no more pilgrim life. There's a hope There's an assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen for Abraham. Looking forward to the city God promises to all who believe. That's a life-changing thing. It's life-changing for Abraham. We see that. He leaves. It's life-changing for all who believe. If we are living in a way that looks forward to a city that is promised to us by God, who's, who's, the builder is God. It's those who look as Abraham did to that promise who willingly and even joyfully live in faith today, who live in a way that may not make sense to the world and yet makes total sense when you look at the Scriptures. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Why would, you, why would you do this, Abraham? Why would you leave everything you know, everything you've ever accomplished? Because he heard and he believed. It goes on, verses 11 and 12, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. The writer here mentions the faith of Abraham and Sarah in regard to the birth of Isaac, this fulfillment of promise and hope of future blessing. God had come to Abraham and promised descendants that were countless, innumerable. Look up at the heavens and see the stars and see if you can count them. Your descendants will be as those. But how would that happen for this couple who is aging and has no children? here's the point of the writer of Hebrews in verses 11 and 12. It was impossible. It was impossible for Abraham and Sarah to have a child. They were too old. Abraham was 99 years old. Sarah was 90 years old. 99 and 90. And clearly the writer is saying this is not... This is not a possibility. This isn't something that happened with other couples as well in Abraham's day. This was an impossibility. 
Verse 12 says Abraham was as good as dead. That's a pat on the back, right? Now, Paul reiterates it. Romans 4, verses 19 through 21, he did not, Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which is as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That is faith. That is looking at circumstances that are impossible, impossible, and believing anyway. Because God said he would do it. Abraham and Sarah knew the situation, that it was humanly impossible, but they came to faith in God. I love what Kent Hughes says here. Listen to this. Abraham did not take an unreasonable leap of faith. He weighed the human impossibility of becoming a father against the divine impossibility of God being able to break His Word and decided that since God is God, nothing is impossible. There's two impossibilities he's wrestling with. If he looks and focuses on the humanity of this, there's just no way, and we need to find another way. But there's another impossibility. God made a promise And God can't lie. And so in faith, he believes, they believe, God, now this wasn't without messiness. Don't don't get this wrong. I've said this before, but we are so prone, and maybe it's maybe more my culture. I don't know what your Sunday school environment was. My, my Sunday school environment growing up was more hero after hero after hero. David is the hero, and Daniel is the hero, and all of these people are the hero. No, they're not. God is the hero in every story. It is God who is the perfect in all of the stories. And so you consider this and what the writer of Hebrews says here in relation to Genesis chapter 18, verses 11 through 15. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Why is that? Honest and awkward situation, right? I mean, we've all been there, and if you've had kids, you've all been there, right? What'd you say that for? <laughs> I didn't say it. But your mouth just moved and the words came out. Like I saw you say it. What do you yeah? No, you did say it. And there's Sarah. Just like all of us at times. 
in her brokenness because she's human. But that's not the end of the story. The writer of Hebrews tells us the Lord brings them along in faith. They went forward in faith, and they were right to do so because the result is there in verse 12. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Whatever the circumstances look like, God promised that that would happen. And through a 99-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman, a child is given. And the Lord blesses as He promised to do. The writer goes on in verses 13 through 16, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. The mind of faith realizes this. Even if Abraham went back to Ur, the place that he knew and the people that he knew, he's still a stranger, an alien. This is not our home. Having seen them and greeted them from afar, have acknowledged that they are strangers and aliens on earth. That there is no place where we are not that. The writer is saying in the midst of these verses, this kind of believing is not just for Abraham, it's for us. For people who speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. We're looking for a better city. They could have gone back, he says. They could have gone back, but they didn't because their heart and their mind was fixed on another And therefore, what a, what a wonderful statement in verse 16. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. I don't know about you, but certainly you are like me and have felt the opposite of that. But in faith, in faith, that the God of the universe would say, because of Jesus... I am not ashamed to be called your God. That is a phenomenal, phenomenal thing that none of us are worthy of. And to consider the statement, they all died in faith. That is hopeful. Writer Paul writes in Philippians 3, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here, it's in heaven. And from it, 
we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It goes on. Lastly, we remember Abraham's faith as it pertained to God calling him to sacrifice Isaac. Verses 17 through 19, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. One of the clearest examples of Abraham's faith and really what sets him apart from you and me, from me, I will confess, I do not resonate with that text. I do not know what it would be like to say, I will sacrifice my son for you. We could go to Genesis 22 and read it. We're not going to, but to summarize for you. And just consider this, okay? The writer of Hebrews is making this point. Isaac was the promised son. 99 years old, 90 years old. And finally, here is a son. Some of you here as parents, you know the joy of having a child. I think we can give Abraham and Sarah some credit of being extra joyful, right? Certainly, we're going to go ahead and give them the, okay, you're, there's a chance you are more joyful than me. There's a chance. I don't know how, but there's a chance. 99, 90 years old, not possible, here's a baby. There's some joy, right? And there's some attachment and love. And in the midst of this, this child represents the promise. The promise. And God calls Abraham and says, sacrifice Isaac. In the most phenomenal verse in that text, Abraham rose early the next morning. Doesn't press snooze. Doesn't roll over. Doesn't say he got up and, and examined the Lord. What? What? No, he rose early to obey And as they're going along, verse 7 tells us that Isaac speaks up. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac knows what they're going to do. He doesn't know how that's going to be done. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham replies to him in verse 8, God will provide for himself the lamb. That's faith. Now, imagine this. Abraham waited so long for this son. And Abraham built the altar with his own hands on which he will lay this precious son to sacrifice him. And he takes in his hand 
the knife? What pain is going through this man? We don't want to read these texts robotically without emotion. This really happened. This is a real father who really loves his son. And in the midst of that, as he raises the knife, it says God intervenes. And there is a ram in the thicket. And God speaks to him and says, don't. I know you trust me. I know you believe in me. And he sacrifices the ram to the Lord. And he and Isaac go home together. I want to say something here concerning this. God abhors the killing of children. Don't get lost in this, okay? We tend to look at texts and, and ask, ask not appropriate questions. As Cornerstone, our statement of faith includes this. We believe that all human life is sacred and created by God in His image. Human life is of inestimable estimable worth in all its dimensions, including preborn babies, the age, the physically or mentally challenged, and every other stage or condition from conception through natural death. We are therefore called to defend, protect, and value all human life. This text is nothing about God affirming the killing of children. This is a sovereign lesson. God always intended on delivering Isaac. This is, a, this is a message. This is a sovereign lesson that God is the way, not Isaac. That God is the treasure, the portion, not Isaac. That Jesus is the sacrifice that is sufficient, not Isaac. that there is a beloved son of Abraham who will be sacrificed and whose blood will flow and through whom the nations will be blessed. But it's not Isaac. It's Jesus. That there is a son of Abraham who is coming and the Lord will not hold back his hand. Jesus is the only way. He is the only way to the city built by God. He calls us to trust Him alone. That was the message on the mountain with Abraham. It is the message throughout the Bible. As we consider that, and before we go into a time of communion, I want, to, I want you to notice some things from the text that we just looked at. You notice that none of the things in this text are things that are or were meant to be. Not how it was intended to be. Not how it was in the garden before the fall, and it's not how it will be for all of eternity in the kingdom of God. Leaving family and friends, going to a distant land where you don't know anyone, 
old age that continues and results in bodies that don't function fully or properly, death, suffering in childbirth, sacrifice, all the things that we, we see in this text, none of them are what the king intends for his kingdom. And yet we see that faith in these verses in a place where we are strangers and aliens is doing what is really hard in the midst of brokenness because you hope in a king and a kingdom where those things will never happen again. And the King Jesus came and laid His life down to lead a people, a believing people, to that place. And that's what we remember each and every time we take communion. His body was broken and His blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And the King who did that fellowships with us in taking it. So what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation or a fellowship in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Paul's saying Jesus comes to us in the Lord's Supper. And then he goes on in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians and tells us that his coming is to bless or to judge And so the admonition is this, if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't trusted in Him, then do that today. Partake of Him in faith, believe in Him and receive eternal life. And let the bread and the cup, those are just symbols of a greater reality. Let those pass by and partake of Jesus today. But for those who do know Christ, who trust in His name, let's, let's partake remembering His work on our behalf, that He died for our sins, that He was judged for us, and that He leads us to eternal life. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness and Your grace. Lord, You're good, and what You do is good. And we see that again and again, verse after verse after verse after verse. Even with circumstances we can't comprehend, and at times we can't even understand. You are good, and you are the treasure. And so we pray for your help, Lord, that we would be a people of faith, knowing that Christ has come and made a way, that you have opened our eyes to believe. And that you have promised us, just as you promised Abraham, you have promised us an inheritance that will never, ever fade. Help us, we pray, Lord. And even as we hold the bread and we hold the cup, help us to remember those truths. That your body was broken and your blood was shed. And as often as we take it, we remember those things and we proclaim your death until you come again. So we praise you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.